4: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to RotoViz Overtime on RotoViz Radio, brought to you by the FFPC. My name is Colin Kelly. You can follow me on Twitter at Overtime Ireland. I'm joined as always by my co-host, Mr. Sean Siegel. Again, Sean, as always, the two-week gap, it gives us time to build up some uh, conversation and talking points, it gives us a little breather in between shows, but I'm looking forward to getting back to that week-to-week schedule in the next couple of weeks. But it's been uh, two weeks since we talked, so how have things been going with you?
2: Great. The- Content on the site has been fantastic. Hopefully folks are checking a little bit of that out over there and you know this is this is the fun time of the year now that the draft is kind of slowing down. I mean obviously the draft is in the rear view and, and discussion of that, uh, maybe not quite as fierce, but a bunch of rookie drafts starting up and so i 've gotten to participate in a bunch of those and then also some rookie auctions i 'm in three of the different kitchen sink leagues that Ryan McDowell runs and participating in those auctions, seeing how players go with that different type of roster acquisition, seeing how people deal with the specific auction strategies, that has been a lot of fun. And I think provides some more insight on player value as well, because players do have a slightly different value, I think, when you're looking at them in auctions. And you know, you have a, a great league that you're going to be looking at for us today. I'm excited to talk about this startup that you're participating in, talking about drafts and talking about startups, Dynasty, uh, you know, probably the, the favorite format of so many of the listeners out there. And when you're starting to put that team together for the first time, you know, some fun leagues like you have a super flex here. And that's really the most fun time in fantasy football. So I'm, I'm looking forward to the discussion today
4: yeah and as sean's teased uh we're going to be looking through a recent startup draft that uh, i did over the past kind of week it was actually really really <laughs> the quickest startup ox- uh, draft I ever did in terms of uh, dynasty uh, finished i think we just came maybe at eight days for the entire uh, draft 28 rounds, so it was pretty pretty sharp overall Um sometimes with uh, you know the eight hour clocks they can drag on a little bit but uh, as sean mentioned it's not as fierce in terms of the rookie prospects but it's it's you know it's really fun building up to the draft but then it kind of gets a little bit of you know kind of overdrive of it and, and then it's a little bit of a, a breathing room now as we start to get ready into redraft season and as you mentioned doing some rookie uh, drafts and then uh, this is the first uh, startup i've done over the last kind of two or three years so it's actually one of the original overtime. it's actually the original overtime ireland dynasty league we have now seven uh, of the overtime ireland leagues and uh, this one was the original one it was the only one that wasn't super flex and uh, we had kind of lost a couple of owners this offseason so we uh, decided to switch it to the Superflex format. So we're going to run through it today, tie it in with some of the articles up on the site and uh, I think it's going to be a real fun show. So let's get straight into it. So the first uh, piece and it's interesting Sean uh, this here came up on the site. I hadn't read it before the draft but I know with Jacob Rickroad uh, talking to him on multiple occasions you know over the years uh, there's a lot of parts of his strategy that he talks about and the successful uh, dynasty startup strategy on the site a lot of the key points that he has and there are key points that i tend to take away as well so a lot of same kind of philosophies he talks about number one don't gamble uh, he talks about take players who dominate at their positions you know chase the elite offenses and quarterbacks uh, and then he, he did mention number five as well, zero RB and one RB, still a viable strategy. So it'll be interesting when we look through my team to see what people uh, think of that. But see, in terms of uh, in terms of Jacob's strategy, is there anything that stands out to you as a, a key that you would say listeners should make sure they're doing? Or is there anything that you may have a, a kind of a, a contrarian take on?
2: Well, Jacob is, is one of the best dynasty players out there. So I, I always love when he goes through and does his rookie hit rate, series and you know that gives you a little bit of a foundation for understanding you know what these players are likely to do and that doesn't mean to avoid rookies because I'm I'm much more aggressive with rookies than Jake is but it gives you a sense of what you can expect because it's easy to get those expectations way out of whack with the enthusiasm of the draft there the two that really jump out to me uh number two take players who dominate their positions and one of the positions that he discusses in there is the tight end, and one of the things that I do on every single one of my teams in basically every every format, whether it's high-stakes redraft, whether it's best ball leagues, or whether it's dynasty, is that I have dominant tight ends, and I know that a lot of experts really like to load up at running back and wide receiver and then sort of fill in with those cheap tight ends later on, but when you have one of the best tight ends, and certainly in dynasty, it's especially the case because those tight ends tend to be the same guys year after year after year. You essentially have almost one extra starter, and you can have a lot of flaws on your roster that are covered up by having an extra starter right and The great thing about this is that you can usually get those tight ends exactly in the range where you don't really want running backs and wide receivers. We'll talk a little bit more at the very end about some best ball work that I've done in the best ball workshop, some of the flaws that people are having with their running back drafting strategy. But essentially, if you can get that stud tight end in the third or fourth round, then that's perfect because that's not an area where you want to be drafting running backs. And it's an area where a wide receiver is flat enough that you can come back and fill in with some of those wide receivers later. And so I really like his recommendation to grab those dominant players, because especially when you're going to be starting them, fielding them year after year after year, you can maintain that advantage for a long, long time. And I really believe that if you continue to work on your roster continue to follow some of the other recommendations that we have and you know really participate in everything that your league does adding through waivers adding through the draft you know making sharp trades you can build out the rest of your roster and so having those dominant players even if they're positions like tight end and qb that tend to be marginalized a little bit more in contemporary draft strategies those players will carry you and then you can fill in the rest of those spots
4: yeah absolutely i I agree with a lot of that sean the the one of the interesting things that he had in it as well and it's another strategy that i try and employ uh, particularly end season as well when you get to that kind of halfway stage maybe some teams are already thinking about rebuilding you're trying to go to to make that playoff push uh, is building the team around a mixture of kind of experienced players particularly at the wide receiver position and obviously you can get a little bit older again at the tight end uh, but i find that people tend to discount those players and he has an interesting graph looking at players over the age of 30 at the wide receiver position uh, even if you look back to last year we have uh, Antonio O'Brien already having one season over the age of 30 but there's multiple players uh, if you look through it with those kind of top kind of areas um after the age of 30 you know multiple seasons at that so i think uh, it tends to be you know we've been discounting larry fitzgerald for years so th- there's players that sometimes can slide in there at a, a cheaper cost uh, and get them in and we'll talk about it in a little bit there's players on my team that we're going to discuss that i'm not that big a fan of but they just continue to drop and uh, that draft and mainly based on age and it'll be interesting to see if sean thinks that they are values or maybe if i should have kept them uh, kept them old guys uh, off the roster so lots of uh, interesting stuff there as always by Jacob and as Sean mentioned one of the the sharpest dynasty players uh, in the business so definitely worth checking that one out another player another person and uh, obviously one of the major contributors to the site in terms of dynasty this season a recent acquisition is Curtis Patrick and uh, to get into the draft a little bit just to to let the listeners know the format a little bit uh, and that is that it is a 2QB or a superflex format um you have to have nine starters so obviously most teams will be going with 2QBs a week leaves you with seven Uh, additional starters uh, and of course we have no kickers no defense so you're setting off there uh, with having to start one tight end two wide receivers minimum and two running backs minimum but that gives you the option then to adjust those uh, flex spots to how you wish Uh, and of course that means as sean mentioned if you did have extra tight ends you can filter them into your lineups as well Uh, it is one point ppr across the board uh, as well as Superflex, so that gives a little bit of uh, a, a look into it and it's interesting i, I did tweet out this uh roster over <laughs> over the weekend and it did come back with some uh negative reviews so i'm looking forward to, to breaking it down any of the listeners if they want um i i have that on my uh, Twitter timeline if you want to check out a link to the actual entire draft. But Sean, uh, one of the things I did that I thought I would add in with the draft strategy that Jacob was doing is I traded back. Actually, I tried to trade back. I had the third overall pick in this draft. I tried to trade back out of it. I couldn't get somebody to trade up so what I did was I took Pat Rick Mahomes and I know you're a big Mahomes guy uh, and I'm going to talk about him in a moment but what I did in terms of draft strategy was I traded back out of the second round and then I traded again back out of the third round later on in the draft I did the same traded out of the eighth traded out of the twelfth uh, I was picking up extra draft picks and what I was trying to do was put as many picks into that kind of mid Uh, kind of top range between the fourth round and the seventh round as I could and what it meant then was I had three picks in the fourth two picks in the fifth two picks in the sixth and then a pick in the seventh which meant overall in those four six rounds I had eight picks so I was gaining two picks over those and I I find that there's a lot of value in those rounds um, and I like what I was able to do with it so we're going to review it in a moment but Is trading back and picking up those kind of draft picks between kind of round four and round ten something that you think is a good strategy? As I mentioned again later on in the draft, I was kind of trying to get back up into like rounds fifteen, rounds thirteen, rounds seventeen, because I find obviously the later you get at the draft when you get into twenty eight round drafts in Dynasty, you're not really picking up huge assets at the bottom. And that's why I was trying to get, you know, move out of those picks. Is that a a strategy you would implement in in startups, uh, trying to move back to pick up extra assets?
2: i think it is very draft specific in terms of when you're on the clock and you're seeing what players are available the first three rounds are really the rounds that i try and target and try and get up into and make as many picks as possible in those rounds both you know trading perhaps out of some of the rounds where you gathered some extra picks and also trading out of future drafts in order to try and really load up on those players in the startup. And kind of as I mentioned before, with the tight ends, you have sort of the three megastars and Kelsey, Kittle, and Ertz going there in round three. And, And those are certainly guys that I would be strongly targeting in that area. You know, you've moved back out of there. Big picture though, I think having as many picks in that early round area, and certainly in Dynasty, there's a little bit more of a need for the depth and or simply that some of the younger players are much more appealing in that format in your draft you have the super flex which i think again makes rounds four through seven more appealing because the necessity to load up on quarterbacks Makes those rounds more valuable. The the quarterbacks having a ton of value and going in those rounds as opposed to falling out and having basically everyone go in seven, eight, nine, ten means that those rounds that you have emphasized uh, those are valuable rounds. And so it'll be interesting to hear you discuss your quarterbacks and why you targeted the guys you did in those rounds.
4: Yeah, so most of the the majority of it was that as I mentioned, I probably would have moved out of the first. What I found is. In certain leagues that I've been in, uh, depends on where that first quarterback is going to go, but I was always going to go in a super flex with a quarterback uh, at that point, uh, based on the longevity of the position usually, based on uh, I thought it was going to be heavy running backs in the first two to three rounds, and I was unlikely to go that route as well myself. So it was more of a case then when it came to those draft picks, like you mentioned, on the clock, based on what was there. Um, I passed up like, for example, in that second round, I would have been looking at either Juju Smith-Schuster or Julio Jones, probably going for Schuster, who went wide receiver- Four um, and that and that round. So uh, overall, and I would be looking at that kind of range. And what I thought was the offer was there to drop back, and there was enough wide receivers there that I thought that some of them would still be there at a positive mark when it got to round four, uh, and which turned out to be the case then. So it was more a case of there was enough players there that I liked. I, I had that intention, Sean, as you mentioned, of loading up on quarterbacks. Like uh, I, I took uh, Mahomes at. Number three, Luck went at number seven. Mayfield went at number ten. Deshaun Watson at number eleven, and then the next one off the board was after me, uh, and that was uh, Carson Wentz. And then we had also uh, Russell Wilson. So, when you look at those picks. Uh, I probably uh, would like to, you know, pair up Wilson. I had thought about pairing up Rogers um you know with with Mahomes and that leaves you set there but I just thought there was enough on the board to to sit tight and with what I was offered I thought I was uh getting enough so I agree 100% with you and the, the loading up strategy but um I, t- I thought I would uh, take a little bit of a different route this time and overall I think it worked out pretty good in terms of how the players were falling down but we'll run through that so out of them you mentioned there in round three, the tree tight end superstars coming off the board that was kind of to be expected um are you still surprised? at how much of a teardrop there is between those three and then the next guys and um, so for example uh, the tight end four was Evan Ingram, tight end uh, five was uh, OJ Howard and then I took tight end six at Hunter Henry but I took Henry uh, with the third pick of the seventh round and the other two guys went in the sixth round so you're having a full nearly three round drop to those guys. Are you surprised just at you know the, the actual jump between them uh, or do you think that's a fair jump?
2: I think it's a fair jump. You're getting essentially a star wide receiver or certainly uh, upper echelon wide receiver production from those tight ends. And while 2018 may be a high watermark for all three of those guys and for tight end scoring for a while, uh, even if they fall back off of those levels, they're going to give you, a big advantage from the rest of the field. You mentioned some of the next guys who are being picked there. And I like those players. Those are players I'm also targeting, but there is a ton of risk, a ton of uncertainty. Perhaps we should say with those guys, when you have an Evan Ingram, we could see him break out to that next level, but it's certainly still a question. You know, he has the opportunity in that offense with Odell Beckham leaving to where he could be one of those tight ends where he's really the alpha receiver on the team, but they're passing offense, not just this year. But for the long term, now could be an absolute train wreck. I think with OJ Howard, you know, he's someone I have on a ton of my dynasty rosters and, and have been targeting, but you know we do need to see him stay healthy and take the next step we need to see that there is enough to go around in that offense because it's almost the exact opposite from the ingram situation where he's going to be competing with a lot of very talented guys for those targets and how many there are to go around there it's really kind of interesting to see where some of those young players you drafted henry as the sixth tight end off the board joku goes seventh and then ebron eighth ebron there i think Uh, with his sort of sketchy track record but then having the big season last year much of which was fueled by touchdowns and so you know you've got that red flag as well but where ebron fits in and, and he's a guy where i think because those touchdowns are likely to drop that he gets discounted a little bit where i think that we could see his yardage numbers expand to pick up some of the slack there and so Kind of how he contrasts with the younger players. And then the next guys drafted are Hawkinson, Fant, those rookies who have a ton of upside, but certainly their owners are going to have to wait on them for a while in all likelihood. And so when you look at those players as being next couple of tiers of tight end you know i think in that context it's not surprising that in some formats in some best ball formats for example we're seeing those tight ends in the second round because they do just give you such a huge advantage
4: yeah, and that's what I was going to say as well. Obviously, the Superflex format is going to skew that a little bit. For example, you know, we had 20 quarterbacks off the board uh, at the stage. We had five tight ends. So it's obviously skewing it quite considerably. If you're in a standard league or you're in a tight end premium league, it's going to switch that around quite, quite a large amount. Uh, when you look at it, I think, as you mentioned, it is a fair drop in terms of how they are i think if you were t- putting it into a more standard one quarterback format you'd probably see those three guys going kind of fifth sixth round uh, pushing them up a little bit uh, and what i think you do see there is the first three off the board um, they are you know at that top level they are doing that for uh, multiple seasons basically, or you know you, you kind of have that confidence that you expect that to be where they are, whereas the other guys you're kind of projecting so you've seen big games at times from Howard or Ingram or Henry, but we haven't seen it on a consistent basis same with Joko we've seen flashes, but you're you're paying at that top table for the the real guys the the elite options at the position and I, I think that makes it fair because you could you could put the next uh 10 tight ends below that and shake them all up and you could take them out in any order at the end of the season so there's opportunity for those guys like henry like howard like ingram uh, but how it shakes out at the end of the season is going to be very very interesting uh, when we look at it the reason that i mentioned curtis patrick a few moments ago is uh, curtis was talking about in the one quarterback format that you know something that he does in dynasties to try and avoid overpaying for players uh, it kind of ties in a little bit with what jacob said about don't risk uh, or don't gamble early on those rounds well changes up a little bit in the the super flex because you're likely to take a quarterback early but he talks about uh, Patrick Mahomes uh, you know in terms of how he's been going and drafts that he's been watching Uh, he's been going at 20.9 overall in terms of ADP he did mention about how incredible he was last year we all know that but he did quite a little bit uh, quite a lot of work on it last season looking in pro football focus uh, and seeing what the options were and basically the best case scenario uh, at the moment is that you know you have basically drew Brees, and he's going to have a 15-year career staying in the top 12 all the way to the end but again we have seen mahomes you know lighted up absolutely last year with an mvp season but we have seen other quarterbacks have those mvp seasons you know we've seen cam newton have his struggles at times we've seen matt ryan have his struggles after being the mvp so there is still that little bit of a risk but when it comes to the superflex format i think that he has to be the quarterback one off the board again and i do think that you know he has to probably go on those first five picks i mentioned i took my tree uh, do you think that is kind of the range that he, he has to go off the board you, you can't really let him go any further uh, based on that
2: it's interesting here because you do have this sort of conflict between what curtis is recommending and what jacob is recommending in terms of jacob telling you to, to grab those guys who dominate their positions and not be afraid of quarterbacks in part because of the longevity and in part because so many of the people who end up getting selected later on or are are selected in those rounds you know you look several years down the line and they're no longer relevant and that's especially true at the running back position whereas if you lock down one of these stars then you're set for a long time so it'll be interesting to hear you know you discuss a little bit more you know why you were intent on taking the quarterback there and it sounds like you're leaning a little bit in the direction that that jacob was recommending i like this position for mahomes but it's interesting in that the first two players number one obviously saquon barkley not a surprise number two deandre hopkins and hopkins is a guy that i have above adp in my dynasty rankings and i think that he is generally undervalued it's interesting that he goes all the way at number two here because mccaffrey is the other player that i would select before mahomes and so you had an option of mccaffrey passed on him court smith had an excellent article up on the site in the last week talking about if you pass on mccaffrey you could be missing the greatest fantasy season ever and while he's looking at 2019 i think that that especially within a dynasty context you could extend that to 2019 2020 2021 you know he's seeing mccaffrey as this marshall falk type of player uh, you you now are passing on the sort of the key position at least short-term wise in running back and perhaps passing on not just what McCaffrey did last year, but an even more historic season in the offing What were your thoughts there in terms of comparing those two guys. I think, I mean, obviously Barkley is is someone I've been targeting where, where possible, even, you know, with the massive pay. And we talked about that a little bit in some of the end of season pods uh, last year. But McCaffrey and Mahomes, probably my two favorite players in the NFL. So this is a, a difficult and interesting choice here. Why did you go Mahomes?
4: I went Mahomes purely on uh, obviously being the dynasty format, looking a little bit ahead. You mentioned the long-term value and your running backs. I don't expect Christian McCaffrey to you know fall out in terms of his production unless it's injury-related over the next uh, three to four years. But you know if you're looking at it in terms of super flex format and the possibility of Mahomes being there for eight to ten years let's say i know dynasty leagues don't tend to go that far but i'm looking at it in terms of projected value so what i would be looking at is like this time next year versus this time right now you know there's a far bigger chance that uh, patrick mahomes is still uh, the qb1 versus christian mccaffrey being in the top five qb or running backs and i would expect mccaffrey to be there but in terms of volatility at the position uh, i would expect it to drop off one of the reasons too was as i mentioned the strategy i did look to move out of that position My intention still would have been to get later in round one and likely go quarterback again at that point based on best quarterback available. But I had the intention of trying to move out of those next kind of the second round or third round. And I thought that having the quarterback there based on the run of quarterbacks that would go after by the time I would likely get back to make my pick at the end of the second round. Uh, was going to give me the opportunity to have that one stud quarterback to to not overly concern myself uh to have to go in round two, round three to get another quarterback to to kind of filter. Because going into super flex formats, I think it's really vital that you have at least two starters that are, you know, week in, week out starters. Ideally if you have three Uh, and and I finished up with three so that was more my strategy was the long-term strategy of it and trying to decide um, who would have the longer term value Uh, while I would love to have Christian McCaffrey he's one player I don't have Christian McCaffrey and I don't actually I'll be honest I'm just going to look through the top one two three four five six seven eight nine 14 the top 14 running backs up until i took running back 17 i don't have any of them on any of my dynasty roster so it just kind of shows a little bit of uh, how i kind of start off particularly in startups it's just a position i don't tend to invest as much in so that was that was as much of the decision as anything on
2: that one sean i like it in the drafters in the ffpc agree with you you can go to the excellent dynasty adp app on the site and you can look at startups you can look at rookie drafts and you can also look at super flex drafts in the ffpc format and see that patrick mahomes is going number two overall behind only barkley and he's sneaking out a little lead there over christian mccaffrey and ezekiel elliott coming in with very close numbers there in the third and fourth spot. So, drafters like what you did, and they have a pretty decent gap at the QB position down to Baker Mayfield going number nine overall and then a couple more spots down to Andrew Luck at 11 if you were going to take a quarterback in the first round then I strongly prefer you staying where you were and selecting Mahomes as opposed to landing with any of the rest of those guys who I think have both a little bit more risk and not as much upside now you know Mayfield and Luck they they have big upside but Patrick Mahomes you know we tend to think in terms of some of the huge seasons that Breeze have had some of the huge seasons that uh, Peyton Manning have had has had and uh, you know look at tom brady what he did a couple of different times there and see those seasons as being mostly unsustainable but the flip side of that is that those are names that do keep popping up year after year which again is something that that jake mentions and i i think that with mahomes we could see a few more of those very top seasons pop even than what we've seen from manning even than what we've seen from a breeze a rogers of brady and so when you're looking at what he did last season realizing you know it's his first season as a starter realizing that even though the chiefs do look like they're going to lose some of their weapons that they're going to continue to add back in and support him uh you know that's a that's a fantastic selection up top i was you know mentioning the kitchen sink leagues and those being auctions and mahomes was actually available in a dispersal that i did recently and so you know you don't necessarily have that many chances to get mahomes in dynasty leagues that are already going i mean the the mahomes owner tends to be hanging on to him with with an iron fist and so having that opportunity there was very exciting and then He instantly went for more than a quarter of the total budget and went for about 15% more than Alvin Kamara, who is number five overall in Superflex ADP. So missed out on him there, ended up with with some lower end quarterbacks. But I think those prices are justified for someone that brings to the table what Patrick Mahomes does.
4: So, as I mentioned at the start of the show, today's show brought to you again by our good friends over at the FFPC, the home of season long high stakes fantasy football. If you're a diehard who loves to draft, the FFPC best ball leagues are already in full swing for the 2019 season, with drafts starting at $35 all the way up to $1,250, both slow and live leagues are filling and launching daily and of course we've talked a lot about dynasty on today's show over the last few years the ffpc has become the go-to destination for serious dynasty players they now have over 300 active dynasty leagues starting at 77 dollars and even have a five thousand dollar entry dynasty league and the best part is not a single dynasty league has folded in nine years registrations for brand new startup dynasty leagues are open and they are farming right now limited orphan teams are still available at discounted pricing don't miss out on the ffpc experience go to myffpc.com and register now that's my the home of season-long high stakes fantasy football
1: this episode is brought to you by decoy wines of sonoma california as you gather with family and friends this summer experience the best of wine country with decoy by duckhorn
4: So Sean as we move forward in the show you, we already mentioned on the tight end uh, that I took that was Hunter Henry. Uh, Kyle Dvorak was talking on the site recently about uh, target shares and target vacuums that have been left by certain players moving to certain different clubs. One of those players was Hunter Henry. Obviously Henry coming back from an injury. One of the reasons that I have uh, you know I'm, I'm obviously Henry the, the abilities there we've seen him show that but there is concern obviously coming back off the injury but a very positive part of that is that he did actually suit up uh, and I think he took some snaps as well and that uh, game that they they got dismantled by the Patriots in Foxborough but sometimes coming back off an injury you know it's will he be ready for week one well he should have a full normal offseason to prepare for this season which shows uh, you know that's quite good but obviously um, Antonio Gates we may still see his ghost turn up uh, the (laughs) season at some point but Terrell Williams obviously has gone to the Oakland Raiders uh, and they were a vital part of the Chargers red zone offense obviously Mike Williams expected to to get a little bit more work there Uh, and obviously as well you still have Keenan Allen but The two that I mentioned, Antonio Gates and Terrell Williams, they combined for 18 targets uh, and 43.1 expected receiving points in the red zone alone. So you have Henry coming back to the area that he dominated when he came in. Did have a hugely impressive years in those first two campaigns that he had in the league so started to have that production young and i always talk about how sometimes it takes three or four years for that production to even turn up at the tight end position so i think that he's going to have a, a big opportunity there are you are you backing hunter henry based on what Kerry thinks in terms of the, the target void or do you think those targets could go somewhere else i do expect a, a jump forward here from mike williams but i think henry could be in for a, a big season too
2: yeah, this is a great analysis by Kyle here. Really love the look that he gave in terms of expected points across a variety of different depth charts and, and and players to target. Hunter Henry is an interesting guy. I it's difficult, I think when you're looking at some of these guys coming back from injury and you mentioned that he played a few snaps. That is an encouraging uh piece of information I think for this coming season. Blair in one of his fantastic wrong read articles has talked a little bit about bounce back players and how we tend to target players coming off of injury, thinking, well, if they get back, then they're going to you know blow away this discount that we have. And in fact, that has not been the case in the past, that those injury those injured players really did represent a decent amount of risk still, even at the discounted prices. And with Henry coming back, one of the things that we don't necessarily see is what his actual performance level was. I mean, he wasn't ready to really contribute in that scenario. And, you know, it, we talk so much now about how great the – medical attention that the players receive how much better all the surgeries have become how much better the recovery rates are and that does tend to perhaps let us not focus as much on all of the the problems that still come up you have you know people like a couple of my favorites at hakeem nicks and kenny Britt, players who had these fantastic starts to their careers i think starts the people even now don't realize quite how fantastic they were And then a variety of injuries left them a shell of their former selves. And so, you know, we're looking at this with a variety of players this year. Emmanuel Sanders is someone who's going to be interesting from an injury perspective, coming back to a big role there with the Broncos, if in fact he's ready to go. Right. So, you know, you have another... Interesting injury situation a little bit later with Delaney Walker as your number two tight end. And so you got a couple of these injury bounce back guys at tight end. And I think that has the potential to go extremely well for you, but still has quite a bit of risk.
4: Yeah, I think if if you look at uh, my tight end uh, core, uh, injury prone would be a fair word. Obviously, Delaney Walker wasn't that injury prone, but you have uh, Hunter Henry, then Delaney Walker, and then Jordan Reed. And they like Jordan Reed was tight end 28, I think, at that point. Even if you know if he catches a couple of touchdowns this season, he's somebody who you could put into your lineup when you're stuck. Uh, you know, and I, I think there's still a the potential to see him. I was actually surprised to see how many games Jordan Reed played last year. I think overall, I think he played 13 games. I thought he missed the majority of the season, so he had a pretty disappointing season. I'm just looking, uh, played played 13 played 13 games. Um, uh, kind of had a very disappointing year, but he was banged up all season long. But still had uh, a couple of games. You know, he had one, two three four five five games with over uh six uh five catches or more so you know there was still production in there that you can certainly start him delaney walker coming back off his injury still think that he can be a, a productive tight end so there's a lot of question marks but i thought at the position they were going there was values there uh, just to jump back a little bit earlier in the draft i mentioned trading out of those two rounds uh, and round four i had three picks uh, adam Thielen, uh was wide receiver 12 was the first pick uh, i know uh, DJ Moore is somebody who's getting a lot of publici- publici- publicism this uh, offseason. I know he's somebody that Rotovis has liked for quite some time. He went uh, wide receiver 13 for me. Uh, and a player that I've really liked um, over the last kind of six months or so, starting from the midpoint of last season, is Marlon Mack. And I picked him up as my first running back off the board. From those three guys, Sean, what's your thoughts on those? Are they players that would interest you in uh, you know, a long-term dynasty or even a redraft format for 2019? Or are they people that you might be passing on?
2: Adam Thielen is someone I have been trading away this offseason because he still has a ton of value, right? He had a a fantastic year last year. He signed the new contract. Uh, He's going to be with the Vikings for a while and perhaps going to be... Their star now there's always that possibility i think when you're competing with someone as talented as stefan diggs that that flips a little bit and you become not just the number two but perhaps the clear-cut number two there also is a little bit of this age situation where we look a lot and, and there, we've had a lot of great articles on the site looking at how some of these older wide receivers not just stay in the nfl but play well while they're there at the same time uh, blair again has had some wrong read articles looking at aging curves and how because we have some of these hand-picked older wide receivers who have done well it kind of takes us away from the bigger picture which is that you know older players are a risk and you have the injury risk that the team because of the age is not going to be as patient with letting them come back you have the situation where people fall off you know very suddenly and If they fall off suddenly at 31, 32, that trade value evaporates, even if the player does manage to stay in for a little bit longer. Uh, And we saw that with uh, Jordy Nelson last year, for example, where there was some real reason for optimism that he would actually bounce back with the Raiders. The evidence was solid for that. There was kind of evidence on both sides of the equation there. But because of his age, He wasn't going to have that trade value until he then proved again that he was going to be good. Now, anytime that a receiver or any player has to come back and prove again in order to get the trade value back up, that's a concern for you. For me, with the way that you build your dynasty roster, because, and again, again, more evidence that that Blair has put out there in the wrong read with ADP, not being very good at predicting production, expert rankings, not being very good at predicting production. Production. There's just a ton of uncertainty going into each season, but we do know based on historical trends, ages, positions, we can have a good sense of what trade value is going to be for players. And so instead of focusing on production, I always focus on trade value for the teams. And so the older players worry me. From that perspective, because anything that happens to an older player, you have an off year at 25 and you know, you're a Brandon Cook, someone like that. The trade value does dip, but it's going to come back and it's going to stay higher. You have an off year at 31 and you, know, you have some real problems there. Then we also have some of these situations where a Calvin Johnson a Rob Gronkowski now, especially in Gronkowski's situation. You know, that was telegraphed, but I made the mistake of not trading him for Kittle in the middle of last year at one point. You know, really trying to focus on winning that league that season. That's almost always a mistake. The, shares of Calvin Johnson that I was holding when he retired the shares of Rob Gronkowski that I was holding when he retired those are some of the biggest mistakes that I have made in fantasy because really what you want to be focusing on is accumulating as much trade value as possible at any given moment so Thielen, someone I don't think that you can go wrong with that pick I think that he'll be a a strong part of your roster but those are some of the reasons why because of players he will bring back in trade that he's someone I'm, I've actually been getting rid of off of some of my rosters
4: yeah and uh, another thing i mentioned earlier in the show there's some players on my roster that you know uh, they weren't on and my intentions to draft going into it but when when i got to that point um i thought that he was someone like you mentioned who maybe even this offseason uh could could be moved off my roster but i just felt at that point he was the the best player that was left on the board in terms of uh, value in, in terms of trade value moving forward like the this team may look very different come week one and that's part of it so that was the reason for it there i had also um you know i was hoping to get uh more as well so i, I went with him uh, then when we go into the fifth round we have uh kirk cousins was my second quarterback and you know there there's a lot of different parts we can look at Kirk Cousins game from last year but when we look at where we're valuing both Thielen and Diggs in terms of wide receivers and dynasty I think that you know he still uh, can put up productive numbers he's drafted as quarterback 14 and I think that's a fair kind of exchange for him uh, Derek Henry is another player who I'm not uh, sold on in terms of an NFL player but I think in terms of value for possibly uh, moving players and, and acquiring players I think there's still uh, value to his name, he happened to be there at the the running back twenty one and round five, uh, and then Jimmy Garoppolo was my next quarterback uh, and my kind of there. There's a quarterback later on uh, drafted, but the, the, he's kind of my last uh, true quarterback at quarterback nineteen. And I think it's interesting to see how much his value has dropped from this time last year, outside of injury. And I know we talked about injury already with Hunter Henry. Not a huge amount has changed and he's actually been, you know, should have a better receiving core around him, coming back into a better player than he was this time last year in George Kittle. So I think there's positives there for Garoppolo. I think he could have bounced in value over the next 12 months and then, of course, next up was a guy that I had to get on this roster and uh, that's your guy uh, Tyler Boyd uh, at wide receiver 24 which I think is a, an extreme value. Uh, Boyd is somebody who I'm sure that, that you would have been disappointed if he didn't end up on this lineup.
2: I would I would have been that that's a fantastic pick there and you know I, I focused on Thielen because I think he's in some ways the more controversial pick or the more interesting pick in terms of you know what people are doing uh, structurally with him but you know you'd also mentioned DJ Moore and Uh, wide receiver 13 his adp right now in startups uh, of this nature is around wide receiver 17 which i think is too low and one of the reasons why i think it's too low is that i have more on basically every team and he is the one guy where you know everybody tries to trade for him i get trade offers for him you know almost daily and you know most of them are are easy to to fight off because his value is, is just so much higher there Looking at those two quarterbacks, and especially looking at it from the perspective, again, of Superflex, I think it's interesting there. You mentioned Garoppolo, and that looks like a fantastic value at QB19. He's sitting at at 14 overall at the position uh, in the FFPC ADP here cousins at 16, so actually a little bit lower. Uh, You mentioned the offense that Garoppolo is going to be in. They've added even more pieces, and while that may lead to a a pretty difficult start set, or even just you know whether or not you want to roster individual guys like Pettis and Samuel, um, you know it could even have a little bit of a negative impact on Kittle. There, the person who pretty clearly is going to benefit is Garoppolo they have all of those running backs they're going to use the running backs uh, in that stretch zone scheme but also they're going to pass to a bunch Garoppolo is going to get the points if that offense functions remotely like I would expect and certainly like I think Kyle Shanahan expects.
4: Yeah, and when, when I look at it as well, when you look at it, you know, he, he was uh, QB 19, we have Drew Brees QB 18, uh, Kyler Murray at QB 12, which is fair enough. Then we have Trubisky at 15, Jameis Winston at 17, Lamar Jackson um, at 16. And I think like, you know, I think Trubisky a fair pick there. I think Jackson's a fair pick, Murray's a fair pick. I think, you know, if you look at this time next year where you talk about players that are, you know, older and that aren't going to have any value, you know, moving forward, I think, you know, Drew Brees, I would say there's a maximum of two years left in there. Um, in terms of his value, is going to start to dip. I have Breeze in a few leagues, and I find it very, very difficult to try and move him. So, you know, I'm, I'm thinking that there's a big value there. The other one that's in there is Jameis Winston, who there's still huge question marks about. Obviously, there could be a big bounce back uh, for him. But a lot, a lot of question marks for me around Jameis Winston and what he can do moving forward. So I think, uh, you know, he, he's a better bunch uh, out of those. And uh, I'm interested to see how Garoppolo can do. We run through some of the rest of them. Uh, running backs you'll see that my running back core doesn't tend to be built with a lot of uh, high draft picks uh tevin coleman running back 31 lamar miller running back 34 the reason i like lamar miller this year is the draft pretty much did nothing in terms of taking in any additional uh you know competition for him obviously uh, foreman is coming back off the achilles injury but when he came back last year didn't look um, all that impressive so their two players i think could have certain uh Production this year than wide uh, wide receiver that I took uh, at wide receiver forty five was dd Westbrook. Obviously Nick Foles is the quarterback there. could be difficult changing quarterbacks, but if you look at what Westbrook's done since he came into the league, you know he was a player who I was high on coming into the league. He's twenty five. He's going to be twenty six this year. But if you look back, you know twenty seven receptions uh, as a rookie. Uh, then last year sixty six receptions and five touchdowns, seven hundred eighteen yards. So if he continues his development, we could see another big year from him. Uh, heading into this one uh, then after that Naheem Hines uh, came off the board for me and round 13 we already touched on Delaney Walker the next player up is Devin Funches wide receiver 56 obviously uh, has moved on from Carolina is going to Andrew Luck and you touched on Luck at the start of the show uh, I think we could see a, a nice season for him he's obviously has an upgrade in terms of what his quarterback does in the passing game I think he's gonna be an interesting red zone target uh, obviously we have Ebron who we touched on earlier as well and that red zone package but I think Funches uh, could be an interesting play this year and I think certainly as uh, you know his position as wide receiver 56 I think we'll see him at least finish the year as a wide receiver three in fantasy what's your thoughts on Funches he's somebody who Neil Dutton had talked about uh, trying to target based on being in a you know a one year contract and trying to step forward and impress. What's your thoughts on him uh, ending up in Indianapolis for this season?
2: You know that depth chart could get complicated in a hurry, and it's been interesting to watch where Paris Campbell is being selected in rookie drafts and see sort of the controversy uh, surrounding him, just purely from the perspective of of where people. Like him and and how they expect him to perform, even within our own dynasty rankings, he's one of the players who has sort of one of the wider swings in terms of the people who are more enthusiastic about him and the people who are more skeptical based on a four-year college career and not having the huge numbers, uh, really overall, and certainly not really having anything to speak of that would justify being drafted where he was until that final season. But with him in there, you know, with Hilton and Ebron. being sort of the go to guys, then you know I think Funches is one of those people who, similar to last season, where we saw him get off to a solid start, but then the team realized you know really, as soon as d j Moore can start to do it he 's the guy we want uh, as soon as Curtis Samuel is ready to play and can run a few more of the plays you know coming back you know from those injuries he 's the guy that we want. My concern would be that that's going to be the exact same thing that the Colts have, where as soon as Campbell is ready, that he's going to be the guy that they want. And that Funchess, while he will have a valuable reality role, that his fantasy numbers are going to be muted to the point where he's really not a starter and or as a very difficult start set decision now where you have him here at wider receiver, 56 you know i do think there's upside from there to where you know one of the things you want to certainly be looking at in a round 13 kind of scenario is you want to be selecting players who number one could potentially start for you but also have at least as much sort of upside potential as they have downside risk so i think at this price you know you can make a a stronger argument for him than maybe if he had been several rounds earlier
4: yeah, and I think the interesting thing as well, uh, something that Neil mentions in the article, and uh, a person who I spend a lot of time reading his work, and that is Warren Sharp of uh, Sharp Football. He talks about uh, the fact that the Colts uh, last season had three receivers uh, on the field, or three wide receivers, sorry, on the field in seventy-four percent of their uh, plays last season. So almost three quarters of all plays. Only four teams were in 11 personnel at a higher rate uh, so that you know there is going to be an opportunity for him to be getting quite a large amount of snaps whether that turns into targets and then turns into receptions uh, is another case but I think he's certainly an interesting value play there and to be honest he's uh, somebody who even outside of this league I've been uh, acquiring uh, this offseason and uh, the price hasn't been all that high when we've been picking him up next wide receiver was golden tate uh, that was wide receiver 60 and obviously you know tate is somebody who again is getting older uh moving up there in years but he signed with the giants this off season and two quite a substantial contract so you know it's really going to be tough for them to cut him uh, next year so they're likely to have a two-year run at least and if you're getting him at that point based on his past production I did think now last season I did think there was a huge drop off in his performances so uh, maybe we'll see him wash out pretty quick in New York but I thought at the 15th round uh, it was worth a sh- shot there so there's a couple of other guys then that after that point that they're really taking stabs in the dark at and hoping that we're going to see them you know return on investment at that value based on injuries based on um you know what else could go on but overall that is the majority of the roster the other player that i picked up that i think has a chance to have quite a, a, a jump in value this offseason is uh mark uh marcus Val- valdez scantlin for the packers uh, wide receiver 62 obviously uh, we have seen that uh randall cobb is uh out of town now um uh, with the Packers and we've seen you know a lot of the targets be funneled through Devontae Adams he's somebody who I think we've seen a little bit from him as a rookie last year I know we've talked about Rodgers and not linking up with the rookies but he did have a, a kind of five-week stretch in double digits uh, in a row from week five through week 10 um which you know isn't all that impressive week 16 he double digit game again but he had 38 receptions uh, and two touchdowns last season i think he's somebody who could, could uh, sneak in under the radar there in terms of value but overall uh, i'm pretty happy overall with how it went and uh, we'll be touching on the best and worst picks in a, in a few moments but uh overall pretty happy with how the draft turned out So, Sean, can we jump into the fourth quarter? Um, obviously, you had uh, a piece up about zero RB and RB heavy drafts and best ball format over the over the last week or so uh, using the const- Roster Construction Explorer. Uh, you did mention it gives some shocking results. What was the thing that shocked you the most?
2: Well, the Roster Construction Explorer is just something I would encourage everybody to go and check out because you can actually see and test different theories about what has happened in the last four years with the current scoring settings that you have for best ball tens right now just because something has happened in the past you know we're dealing with adps that are shifting we're dealing with new players we're dealing with the fact that uh, individual injuries to certain guys are going to have sort of an outsized influence on the way trends within certain rounds are going to affect uh, you know any given season so doesn't necessarily mean that the past is going to or the future is going to directly follow or perfectly mimic the past, but it gives you a sense of what has happened. And I think that's very valuable information in the context of, I think a lot of people don't necessarily realize what has happened over the last four seasons and even the differences and similarities within those seasons. We have obviously this 2015 season that was very favorable for zero running back where the early running backs got hurt, the wide receivers scored well. Then you have the exact opposite in 2016 where the star running backs stay healthy the wide receiver scoring really plunges. And so those two seasons are both very different from each other, but then also not particularly representative of what has happened since then, where 2017 and 2018 have been a little bit more similar to each other with some perhaps very important, but subtle differences. And yet the 2017, 2018 seasons might give us a little bit more of a sense of what will happen in 2019. But the reason I structured it this way, and this is actually only part one of what will be a three or perhaps really four part series, looking at how you deal with the running back position in best ball tens, right? So we have a roster construction explorer for that format. We have a roster construction explorer that you know, works great for the FFPC. So if that's your preferred format for, for best ball leagues, you can get in there and really crunch those numbers as well. But the reason why I structured the first part like this is just to give this a little bit of a, a provocative look at sort of two polar strategies and so somewhat extreme strategies, maybe not the middle strategies to start with. And that was to contrast a very running back heavy approach with a zero running back approach. So contrast these formats or these strategies where drafters are starting running back times four. So you take a running back in each of the first four rounds versus one where you don't take any running backs in those first four rounds. And I think because 2016 was so favorable for running backs and then 2017 and 2018 have had these really outsized results for the stars that we might expect the numbers to be pretty favorable for running backs, especially within the context of what people tend to believe about best ball leagues, where if you load up on wide receivers late, then you can benefit from the optimized uh, starting scoring, where it's going to grab the best result from this guy this week, this guy this week. And, you know, if you, as long as you have enough receivers, that will balance out your need for those three starting spots. It doesn't really work that way, right? And we can see that a lot better when we look at some of these numbers. And we see that over the last, years that if you started out running back times four then you had just a five percent winning percentage which you know is absolutely disastrous obviously if you took four running backs in the first five rounds then you had a 5.2 win rate which again far far below what you would want and what you would need to be even remotely profitable when you contrast that to zero running back you find that you have an 8.3 win percentage so basically exactly your your pure luck base percentage or your one in 12 there and and i mentioned in the article league average is not what you're shooting for but it's interesting that the contrast is so sharp between those two especially within the context of these last four seasons the last three of which i think most people believe have been very 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 running back favorable The other thing that we can do in there is look kind of season by season and see that, yes, the trends do tend to favor uh, or tend to follow what we know about those years, where if you applied that sort of approach in 2016, the running back times four works much better Zero running back, very unsuccessful. But if we look at that with a little bit more detail, we find that the worst winning percentage For zero running back, which again was in 2016, is actually above the average winning percentage for running back times four, which you know tends to hammer home even a little bit more the differences between these two approaches and you know why you might want to consider one over the other or possibly consider neither. Just to throw out a little bit of a teaser in part two, and then part three, we're going to talk a little bit more about where actually you do want to draft your running backs and if. You know, we don't go running back times four, but we do want an early running back, you know, where you should target that. But then also to look at a little bit more detail about this year running back strategy that has been surprisingly successful the last two years with, even with all of these top scores from the running back position. And that is that if you selected your running back one, somewhere between the fifth and the eighth round, in the last two years so again these last two seasons that are probably more reflective of what we might see in 2019 then your win rate is 9.7 percent and that's actually better than you know anywhere else that you can take that player so Zero so running back, again, something that we talk a lot about, mostly to get people to think about how they want to structure their rosters, not to push this from the perspective, of, oh, you've got to go this direction that a lot of people don't like and a lot of people see as risky. And certainly we don't want people uh, using approaches that they're not comfortable with, don't like, anything like that. But thinking through what the results have been can be very helpful for you in terms of how you do want to structure your roster and even just knowing that maybe what you believed about the last couple of seasons isn't quite correct and so you know get in there you know try the roster construction explorer for yourself you know certainly don't take my word for it and and see what the results have been and so 2017 2018 more favorable for some of these contrarian strategies and people realize this isn't just a 2015 approach. This isn't just an approach that worked in those years, say 2011 and 2015 before the rise of the Uber back, right? We have all of these great backs. You know, certainly if I get a chance to own Christian McCaffrey, I do that. If I get a chance to own say club Barkley. I do that, you know, not telling people necessarily to avoid those players, but be aware of, the overall constructions that you can use and and what really has happened these last couple of years because it might not fit exactly with what you think
4: so sean just to wrap things up now we're just going to have a quick rapid fire best and worst part of that uh, startup draft that i did Uh, i'm going to go first sean and i'll go with the worst and it's not actually the worst player that i took it was the worst feeling that i had and it was actually a player that i was hoping was going to fall to me as my uh, kind of second running back and it was Devontae freeman uh, he went running back 20 and then i ended up as we mentioned with derrick henry at running back 21 so there was one pick between those and i had him pre in for my auto pick and unfortunately went one spot ahead so he's somebody who I think again. I mentioned about the competition in terms of Lamar Miller. There's not a huge amount of competition for Freeman, and again, he's coming back off an injury. But I think he could be in a nice spot this year. So that would be my worst part of my draft. Uh, was there a pick that you uh, would change? Was it would you go against the trade out of the the second and third round? What what would you think
2: was the worst part? I I like what you have done overall here. I think that for me personally, the running back selections would have been slightly different, and then I probably would have waited even a little bit longer. And then in some of your nine, 10, 11, 12, 13 round picks, I would have liked to have seen you target some of the rookies and some of the second year players, perhaps some of the second year players who have really seen their value fall like a penny, like a Freeman, like a Ronald Jones players who, because of where they were drafted and because of the original enthusiasm that a lot of drafters had for them, that Really anything positive that starts to happen, and I think that there are some very clear scenarios for all of those guys where things could turn around, those are players where their possible increase in value is so huge. And I think when you're looking at a running back position where you know, you, you have this potential in Dynasty to use either a zero running back or a modified zero running back approach, uh i mean you loaded up on a lot of guys who are going to make your roster very solid i think that you could take even a tad bit more risk knowing that you're going to have numbers right you're not going to end up with just one or two guys you're going to end up five six seven guys and with those numbers you know you can miss on a few of the players but the upside for a penny for a freeman for a jones you know for a a rookie like henderson perhaps in that range it is so high that maybe I would have preferred you taking those guys as opposed to a Lamar Miller where even if he has a good season I think his value is going to stay or or even fall a little bit
4: yeah I feel I feel like that's pretty fair overall looking back uh, I do think one area where I did avoid too much was uh, rookies and second-year players a couple of them in there I have gone for quite a few younger players but in terms of rookies and second-year players I think I could have bulked up with a few more of them so that is somewhere i think would be interesting Uh, when i review it i might have to to try and make some trade decisions based on on that for roster construction but uh, then the best part of the draft i think when i look through it i think the best part for me would be that sixth round where i picked up uh, jimmy garoppolo and tyler boyd one of the reasons i wanted that you know drop down get those picks and that kind of four to six round range was to try and load up on players that i liked, like dj Moore, like tyler boyd you know I, i if i had two less picks in those rounds I would have missed out on likely one of the two of them I like Marlon Mack as well his situation uh, in Indianapolis and uh, the other part was to pick up those quarterbacks in that range but I do think out of the quarterbacks I think Jimmy Garoppolo could turn out to be uh, quite a good uh, you know jump in value over the next 12 months at that position uh, and I thought that was uh, one of my favorite parts was that sixth round was there anything that stood out for you in terms of uh, the overall strategy that would stick out Patrick Mahomes at number three is probably
2: (laughs) up there for you yeah all of those things I would echo all of your points there you know Mahomes more Tyler Boyd the other one that you know you haven't talked about quite as much and, and I think is interesting is there in the 11th round you got Westbrook as the wide receiver 45 and while there's plenty of potential for that to not pay off certainly with the Jaguars there there's also a scenario where he becomes their Fairly clear cut number one wide receiver. And while his results the first two seasons are not out of this world, they're very solid, especially for what the quality of that offense was. So if Nick Foles comes in and they do take a jump and marquise lee is not quite ready to do what i personally hope as as probably an irrational super fan uh looking at there if lee isn't ready i mean westbrook really could end up with huge volume in a much more solid offense and so in that portion of the draft i think that's a home run
4: yeah, I think hopefully uh, Falls will come in and do more than uh, Cody Kessler was able to do or more than Blake Bartles was able to do. So let, let's see how that shakes out. But it's been really fun looking back through the, the draft. It's been a bit of a bumper episode, but I guess we're doing it every two weeks. So it's good to get uh, some of the, the loyal listeners, some good content to listen to. Uh, as always, you'll probably have heard on the other shows, the uh, listener discount was the early bird special of 30%. That has wrapped up over this past weekend. You can still, though, get yourself a 10% discount to a road pass through the podcast homepage, that is rotobiz. forward slash podcast. The season is getting closer make sure you're ready all the latest information is up on the site uh, i just like we talk about it in every show there's just so much good stuff to dig your teeth into so don't miss out gain unlimited access to all our nfl content and tools and get that amazing value and support the podcast network once again that is rotaviz.com forward slash podcast so that's going to do it for today's episode of the show as always my name is colin kelly you can follow me on twitter at over to my co-host is sean siegel who you can follow on twitter at ff underscore contrarian and as always, until we're back with another one, have a good one. Thank you for listening to Overtime on Rotovis Radio. Please read the new the Radio podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Contact us via email at rotavizradio at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at Rotovis And remember, you can always support the pod by subscribing to Rotovis at a 10% discount through the NFL podcast homepage. That is rotaviz.com forward slash
1: podcast.
3: And all your guests have to share one plate and one fork, but you're convinced that less stuff means more freedom. The GEICO Insurance Agency could help protect the overly minimalist broom closet you call home. Call GEICO and see how easy it is to switch and save on condo insurance. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in.